dismissed. Head on back to, to Kids Church Gospel Project. Amen. Well, welcome to Renovation Church this morning. We're glad you're here. Hope uh, you're about ready to continue engaging the holiday season. How many have already been eating too much with me? This, unfortunately, is not an aberration from the rest of the year, but <laughs> I am enjoying it nonetheless. Um, excited to finally begin to get all the Christmas decorations up. Who was done right after Thanksgiving? Come on, who are those Black Friday? Brandon, I see you. Uh, we are now just getting to it, but excited to see the lights and spend time with family. One of the things we're doing is we just concluded a series in Romans, and uh, we are jumping into this Advent series, and I hope uh, you have been kind of walking through that process with us. If you haven't, there is an Advent book in the back written by Sinclair Ferguson that we would love to put in your hands for you to just engage some family worship over this time. Sit with your kids, sit with each other, spouses or, or friends, and just walk through uh, that book as you as you get into the scriptures together and really spend time worshiping uh, Christ for what for what he's done the incarnation isn't it amazing that God sent his son amen and that's what we that's what we celebrate here this morning if you would with me turn to your Bibles to one of I would say not one of I would say the most famous scripture passage in the Bible uh, it's actually a little ridiculous that when I saw the passage I was preaching on this morning, the first thing I thought of was Tim Tebow. Is that terrible? I thought of Tebow, the guy in the back with the sign behind the goal stands, um, and uh, there's so much more here, uh, but it is, uh, it is one we know well. So let's read it together. We're going to read John three sixteen through 21 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. I'm sorry, come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that in so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would through your word speak to us this morning. That you would illuminate the truth to us. You would open our hearts, open our eyes, let us see. Change us. Change me this morning through your word. Change my heart our prayer, to know you more in the work 
that you've done in Christ, to know it more. That's our prayer, God. We pray that this wouldn't just be familiar, that this wouldn't just be something we've memorized that just gets cast aside, but that it would be known to us like we have not known it before. That through your spirit, working through your word, you would draw our hearts and our affections towards you. That we would, as Ethan prayed earlier, we would value you the way we should. Help us to value you the way that we should this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. John 3, 16 through 21. This passage we've heard so often, and the reason I believe it's so famous is because the words are declaring to us something so incredible. I mean, think of the first few words of this passage. For God so loved the world. What do we learn from the scriptures in the first words of John 3, 16? That God loves us, amen? God loves us. Now, what we see in context is, is Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, and he's explaining to him things that are, as Jesus says, too much for him to understand. And God, and God through, through, through his words here in the scriptures, Christ is beginning to unveil to us and uh, in, in reveal to us in his word God's love for us, and then why Jesus came, and, and how that divides us in terms of our belief and our unbelief. Really, this passage, as we look at it as a whole, it digs into our souls to discover reasons for belief and reasons for unbelief. That's what we're getting at here. Ultimately, what we find in this passage, in the main conclusion of this passage, is that those who don't believe, don't believe that their unbelief that leads to their condemnation and perishing is their own fault. And those that do believe and who are saved by their belief or reliance upon Christ, it is a gift from God. Belief is a gift from God. Unbelief is our fault. And I want to walk through that with you a little bit here as we dig into this passage and into where God's heart is in his love for us. For God so loved the world that he what? He sent, he gave his only son. What we see here is God's love of the world uh, is real, that he, he does love us, that it's declared in scripture that he loves us, and it's also declared in an action, that God's love for us, the acting love of God, is the giving or the sending of his own son to die. And we know it's, it's the giving and the sending of his son to die because he's in verse 14 of chapter 3, we see Jesus relate himself to Moses in the desert as, as they held up the serpent and, and, and people looked upon it and it was raised up. And he says, so the son of man will, will need to be raised up in reference to the cross for the purpose of salvation. So Jesus comes to and God sends his son to die, and we see that God loves us, and the act of God's love is the sending of his own son. He gives or he sends his own son. And, and, and the way the sending of the son is love to us, the way that we see God's love in this, is that God's son is his son, the only begotten son. It's not a lamb, it's not a goat, it's not a bull. 
We see throughout the Old Testament this, this representation of, of need for atonement and sacrifice and a death to atone for sin. The fact that God is just and he executes justice. And, and in doing so, God sends his only son. I, I mean, we think back to the Old Testament type or symbol or reference uh, that, that points to Christ and the sending of a son and the sacrificing of a son. And we see the heart-wrenching value of a son in the story of Abraham and Isaac, do we not? You see those moments in Genesis when Abraham is, is asked by God to, to sacrifice his only son, the promised one, the one that came that was such this, a miracle child as, as his wife gave birth to Isaac in her old age and it couldn't have happened and he was the son of promise and, and God declares to him that he wants him to bring him up and sacrifice him and Abraham's willingness to take his son and put him on the altar and to take the knife. And, and as you look at that narrative and you look at that story as a parent, as a father, as it, we, we see the heart-wrenching reality of what Abraham was required to do and then God provides, right, the ram in the thicket. God's love is, that, is the sending of his son to die, and, and, and it's, it's an act of love because it's the only begotten son. This is, he, he sends his only son to come and die the most horrific death. What an amazing love we see. You know, we see it in Romans 8, chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, you can just flip over there. If not, I'm going to read it quickly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously, graciously give us all things? He sent his son. Didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. God's love. You know, we sometimes think about love. We think about, uh, and when we, and I say this often when I'm doing a wedding. When we think about love, we, we all have our own kind of subjective definitions, do we not? I mean, it really is one of the most overused words, as powerful as it is. I say love all the time. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my family. I love pizza, right? So we use the word, but it's different. And many times, our, 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 the word love, it, it hits your brain, and it registers through all the experiences and circumstances that you've had, whether it be with parents or others or people that have disappointed you, and you hear the word love and it hits your brain and it registers through all of those things and it pumps out a definition. And, and many times that definition can be very subjective, is it not? And, and as we scramble back to scripture, we see love. We see God's love for us in an action. We see God's love for us. It's an objective reality. He sent his son to die. Sometimes we don't feel loved. And in our subjective definitions of love, as we, as we register it through our experiences and through our circumstances and through the way we feel about things, we can often say, I feel unloved, or I don't feel like people like me, or like people love me, or like I have loving relationships. But, but that's really irrelevant to the, to the objective reality that you can reach out of those subjective feelings and hold on to the truth of Scripture. And that's that God loves you. He sent his son to die. Amen? There's a truth here that God acted, and he met our greatest need, and he did it by sending his own son 
to pay the price and be the substitute, to experience the death and separation from God, to experience the becoming of sin and, and dying for our sins. He did that because he loves, amen? God loves. I don't think that can be overstated. It becomes so familiar. It becomes the thing that Tim Tebow has written on his eyelids or whatever, but it's so much more than that. God loves. He loves and he acted in this love and he sent his son, his only begotten son, to die. Good news, amen? God loves us. He met our greatest need in that love. And it's the sending of his son is love because it opens the door of eternal life to those who are condemned under God's wrath. And that's everybody. That's everybody. His sending of his only begotten son to die for us in this sacrifice opens the door to eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son in love so that we would have eternal life. And the way that we experience this eternal life is by believing on the son, not working for the son. Amen? For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever what? Believes in him. God loves us. How do we know he loves us? He sent his son. Why does that mean he loves us? Because his son was his only begotten son. Because it was costly for him to send his son. And, and he sent his son of great value to die. Why? How, do we, how else do we know he loves us? Because the sending of his son opens the door for us to eternal life. How else do we know that he loves us? Is the door that's open to eternal life isn't given to us because we do stuff or we work for him or because we're good enough, but it's open to us because he sent his son and all we need to do is believe upon his son. Amen? It's a free gift. This is great news. God so loved the world, he sent his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John Piper said it this way, this sending of the Son is love because it was deeply costly for God and infinitely beneficial to us and absolutely free. Amen? Deeply costly to God, infinitely beneficial to us and absolutely free. So he sends his Son and we see, though, in the sending of the Son, as we, as we look at the scripture, we see... We see a division. I want you to look at this with me for a moment. We see that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, but whoever does not believe in him, what? Perishes. So we see a reality here, that Jesus comes as we celebrate the incarnation. Light has come into the world, that, that he is the light of the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. We see as we, as we celebrate this Christmas season, the sending of Christ, the incarnation of God, that, that Jesus came, and he came as the light to the world. And when Jesus came, though, we see this division. As Jesus shows up, we see those who believe and those who don't believe. And we see that whoever believes has eternal life, and whoever does not believe will perish. In verse 16, then in verse 18, it says it in a little bit of a different way. 
that whoever believes is not condemned, we kind of move to the more legal courtroom language, whoever believes is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. I think this is an interesting point. So we see that whoever believes has eternal life, whoever does not believe will perish. Whoever believes is not condemned, but, but does not believe is condemned already. And, and, and as we read this passage, we see that Jesus did not come into the world to judge, but to save, right? Uh, let's, let's read it together. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, verse 17, into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. You jump over to John chapter 9 and you see that he did come to judge. And and, and it's not a contradiction. Because as you read this passage, verse 17 gives us the answer. That Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world. And those who believe upon him will be saved. But those who don't believe upon him are what? They are condemned already. They're condemned already. You know, Jesus was not coming to a neutral world. This is how we need to think about it. Jesus was not coming to a group of people who are all neutral on Christ and are just waiting to be persuaded one way or the other. He didn't just show up to a bunch of people who just weren't sure and they're neutral, not knowing what they think about Jesus, and maybe when Jesus comes, maybe I'll believe, and maybe when Jesus comes, maybe I won't believe. That's not what this passage says. What this passage says is Jesus came to a world where everyone is condemned but some receive the gift of believing. Those who don't believe are condemned already. That we're condemned and we are lost in our own sin. We see the same language in Romans chapter 3. That, that, that no one chooses right. No, not, not one. That, that, that the condemnation, this declaration of, of guilty people that because of Christ we're justified, that, that, that we're declared not guilty upon belief in Christ, even though we truly are. Does that make sense? Jesus is coming to a lost in a dead world, a lost in a condemned world, a world that's lost in their own sin, all of us condemned in our own sin, and Jesus comes to save those who believe. Amen? Declaring guilty people not guilty. Jesus, we're all condemned already, but he came to save those that are already condemned. Declaring guilty people not guilty. This is good news. Jesus didn't come to judge, but he came to save. Let's read verses 19 through 21 together. And this is the judgment. So he didn't come to judge, but he came to save. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What we see in this incredible passage is that by the light coming, Judgment happens. When the light enters into the world, judgment happens and a division occurs. Jesus coming to save 
But his coming, the light coming, Jesus, who is the light of the world, he comes and a division occurs and judgment happens. And then we see the language go from condemnation to not condemned to love and hate. And this is where it really begins to dig into our souls. This idea of the light coming and, 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 and this division occurring between those who love the darkness and those who love the light. What we see here is that Jesus is, is the light of the world as declared in John chapter 1, is declared in John 14, is declared all over the passage. Jesus is the light of the world in this division happening. And what we see about Christ coming and God sending his son is we see this idea of truth. Really, Jesus is preeminent, as we see in Ephesians. Jesus is ultimate truth. I love, I love and I hate uh, wrestling. I, I mean that in the most sincere, addicted fan way. Not, not WWF wrestling. <clears throat> I'm not talking about, you know... Jimmy Fly, Superfly Schnooker, <laughs> that's way back. Ricky the Steamboat, that was my, no. I'm talking, I'm talking about uh, actual wrestling. I, I grew up wrestling my whole life. My father wrestled, my brother wrestled, I wrestled. Um, and it's a grueling, grueling, awful sport, but I love it. People who wrestle are crazy. <laughs> and now I have passed this terrible gene onto my kids. My son wrestles, my sons, both of them do now. And, you know, it's grueling. It's hard. You're losing weight. You're, you can't eat. You're dehydrating yourself. You're, and, and you walk out onto the mat. And, and the thing that I love that, that, that is so awful about wrestling and, and humbling and heartbreaking and the thing that's so addictive about this sport that makes me love it more than any other sport, maybe it's why the, it's the most ancient sport, is that to some degree, and Aristotle, who was a wrestler, actually said this. He's quoted it's, it's ultimate truth in some ways. Not ultimate truth in a spiritual sense. But it is. There's something so truth-giving about wrestling. You walk out onto the mat, it's you and the other dude, and truth is going to come out of the next six minutes. And there's nothing you can do about it. You, you, you are mano y mano, and, and the ref blows the whistle, and there is no teammate to blame there's no one else to blame. You are out there with another guy, and at the end of six minutes, either his hand's getting raised or your hand's getting raised, and you're, and you're out there. And there's something about that that is just truth, you know? You, you can hear people yapping and talking about how tough they are, and then they get out on the mat, and you really find out how tough you actually are. And there's nothing more heartbreaking and heart-wrenching than the other guy's hand getting raised. It's devastating. And there's nothing more exhilarating than the moment when the ref raises your hand. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? A couple people. All right, Doug, thank you. <laughs> the light came to the world, and it was truth. Jesus shows up, and it is ultimate truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Everything we know about truth comes from Christ. John, 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Colossians 2, 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of knowledge. Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is enough. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the truth. Amen? Everything we know about truth comes is, is in reference to Christ. Everything we know education-wise about creation and science and, and what's right and what's wrong in, in terms of law and justice and injustice, about who you are and who you're meant to be, people out there trying to find themselves. The truth about who you are comes through Christ. the problem sometimes with our education system is we're learning all sorts of really good things but in reference to christ it's really not the whole truth without reference to christ it's not in contradiction it's all about him it's all revealing him it's all revealing who god is in christ the truth about what's right and wrong the truth about salvation the truth about who we ought to be and the way we ought to live the, the truth about what it is to do the right thing, the truth about right thinking, the truth about right feeling is defined and measured by Jesus. The light of the world has come, and he is the truth and the life. He is the light. And when he comes, a division occurs because some love the darkness. And when your darkness is in light, the monstrosity and the hideousness of our sin gets revealed. And some either run to Christ or some run to the darkness to keep their darkness hidden. A division occurs. Truth happens. Truth is revealed because the light of the world comes. And there is a division, a response. So we see in this passage. We see how those who don't believe respond to the light in this passage. Look with me. And the judgment is the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So we see people who don't believe, the unbeliever, the response to the light when the light shows up is, is to do work, wicked things. Their works were evil. They don't want their deeds exposed. So they flee the light. They leave and they go for darkness where there's no exposure of sin. They hate the light because their sin's exposed in the light. Therefore, they do not come to the light. Boy, do we not see this played out practically in the lives of people. And might I say as we sit here reading the scriptures together this morning, wouldn't this be a good moment for each of us to get a little introspective and ask ourselves some of these questions about the darkness that lies in our own hearts and the truth revealed as the light of the world comes to us. have moments as an elder here at this church to sit with Mike and others and hear folks come in confession of sin. What an evidence of the work and the grace of God in the life of a believer. What a demonstration 
to me as I, as I look at the lives of others and as I look at my own life, that God is at work. And when you believe, you've got to come into the light. You've got to come into the light, and, and you don't care if your darkness or the hideous things in your life or in my life are exposed because you love the light and you need the light and, and you want it to be exposed so, because there's forgiveness, because there's grace, because you can stand under the fountain of grace and receive the truth of the light of God because you believe. And that is something to celebrate, amen? What an amazing gift from God. What do you do when your mind is there and your heart's not? Anybody been there? What do you do when your mind's there and your heart's not? I know it's sin. I know it's sin. But I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Ethan and I were just talking a little bit about emotion and, and psalms and it made me think of this before I preached this morning as we were praying for the service. I was kind of contemplating these things just sitting upstairs. And I thought of Psalm 42. You see David fighting with himself. You see David in this moment uh, dealing with the reality and the truth of God in his life. And he's fighting with himself and, and he yells out. He, he yells out, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you so downcast, my soul? And then he, he fights with himself and he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Therefore, I remember you, God, my salvation and my God. Amen? What do we do in these moments as those who believe when the truth of God, the light of God comes into our life and we are just downcast or we are, we are not doing what we should or our heart is not where our head is and we see the sin in our life, we intellectually understand it, but emotionally we're not there. And, and I think what we do is we, we have the struggle that David had in the Psalms and we, we sit under the fountain of grace and we sit with God and we cry out, God, I believe you, I praise you anyway, I'm going to continue continue to rely on you in belief as we see in John chapter 3. I remember you, my salvation, my God. We need to be here together on the Lord's day, remembering the salvation of God and worshiping him together. Amen? Hope in God. I think part of uh, those who, who flee to the darkness and those who turn to the light in this division that we see as Jesus comes and judgment happens is that we don't have a proper view. People don't have a proper view of God's value. Isn't that true? People don't have a proper view of God's value. It really comes down to idolatry. We value other things more than we value God. It's ultimately the first commandment. We don't worship God above all else. 
We worship stuff. We worship idols. We worship things that are fleeting, that make us feel good. We worship buying stuff that's going to be of tomorrow's garage sales. We worship the high from so many things other than valuing our ultimate treasure in Jesus who has come. Amen? And we prefer those things unless our, our sin be exposed we run to the darkness instead of the light. When Christ, the light of the world, shines in a life, it's going to have one of two responses. That light is going to break him and lead him or her into repentance and faith, or it's going to drive him further into the darkness. When the light of, of Jesus shines into a life, we either respond with repentance and faith or we respond by running further into the darkness. Sin that's forced into the light of Christ, it, it can be so hideous that it, it wants to surround itself with more darkness and it hates the light. Someone said it this way, that chains are forged in the furnace of our own desires. What we truly love and we truly hate. It's bondage. People run to darkness instead of light. It's, it's change forged in the, in, the, in the fire of our own desires. And we really begin to see what we truly love and what we truly hate. The guilt lies with us. Now for those who believe, the other side of this division, the other side of judgment, we see clearly that those who believe, the works that have been carried out in their lives is they continuously and progressively and more and more and more and more walk in the light every single day. Those works that have been carried out have been carried out. Why? Because of God. In God. Read it with me. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen? For those who believe, you go to the light, you allow the exposure of sin, you continue to walk more and more in the light. Listen, we're not perfect, but there's progressive desire not to hide, but to be revealed. Not to run, but to come to Christ. Not to go to other things, but to have Christ as your greatest treasure. And as that progressively becomes more and more of your life, as you believe on him, you receive this free gift as sanctification begins to occur in our lives and the Spirit of God grows in us. We, we recognize at the end of all of that that our progressive ability to walk in the light has always come from who? From God. It is a sign and a demonstration that God is at work in his people. It is a stamp and a seal of the Spirit of God that says God is working in that life as we begin to walk in belief and walk in the light. Amen? And, and here's our response to that, worship. We just turn and we worship God for this incredible gift of salvation. You know, at the end of the day, 
what we see in John chapter 3 is that Christ has come. Christ is truth. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the light of the world. And that our belief upon him causes us to be in the light, to walk in the light, to have eternal life and to have salvation and to live a a faithful life of worship. And at the end of the day, we recognize that our ability to do that and our doing that in our lives all comes as a gift from God. To the degree we don't, we're responsible. What an amazing gift we have. What an amazing God we have who loves us. And so what is the practical application of this passage? Let's continue to walk in the light together. Allowing the light of Jesus and the truth of Jesus to lay us bare. To expose everything that it needs to expose. To respond with repentance and faith. And to walk in a faithful life of worship. Because at the end of the day, we get Jesus as our greatest treasure. He is preeminent. That's what John is declaring. Jesus is preeminent. Amen? You know, I'm going to close with this, and I hate to, but I can't help it. There is a ridiculous heresy that continues to float around the Christian church. And that's that if you come to Jesus, you're going to get wealthy. Or if you come to Jesus, you're going to get healthy. What a load of garbage. That's not what the Word of God says at all. Matt Chandler mentioned it. It, The the disciples died bad. Poor. This isn't about what Jesus can give you. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about that Jesus can make you happy or make you wealthy or make you healthy. That is an absolute load of garbage. At the end of the day, the gospel is about this. Regardless of, of how you walk out your life in the experiences of this fallen world, you get Jesus and he's enough. You get Jesus and he is preeminent. You get Jesus and he is the top. He is the best. He is our treasure. We're not trying to get Jesus to get something else. The other stuff is false. Amen? The light of the world has come. God has sent his son because he loves us. And his son is all we need. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come this morning grateful for a God who would send his only son. We recognize afresh this morning our need. We need him. And we believe. We come this morning celebrating and recognizing that the truth has come, that the light has come. And our response this morning is prescribed in your word is to believe. We believe. We believe in Jesus, the light of the world, the one true Savior. We believe in Jesus, the one who has come and died for our sins. And we rely upon him. We thank you that we have forgiveness and eternal life and we won't perish because of Christ. We believe. We thank you that you have brought truth 
and that you've declared it to us. Help us to not turn and run into the darkness to hide and to pursue those things that are counterfeit and idols. But help us to walk in the light, allowing it to expose whatever it needs to. Walking in repentance and faith and worship of the one and only true God and our treasure, Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen.